Let's start this podcast with a moment that still gives me the chills. Me too. It's when the very first person in the U.S. got the COVID vaccine. I hope this marks the beginning to the end of a very painful time in our history. It was a New York City critical care nurse by the name of Sandra Lindsay. I believe in science. As a nurse, my practice is guided by science. And so I trust... I'm Colleen DeBase. And I'm Sue Williams. We all know we have science to thank for the vaccines. But we wondered, who are these scientists who probably spent years, if not decades, working on them? She literally helped develop the vaccine that the nurse received, and that I received as well, actually. That's our reporter, Corinne Lesh, and she sat down with... Kotalin Koriko. I am a biochemist by training. And most notably, for the purposes of this podcast... I am a senior vice president at the BioNTech. BioNTech, of course, is the German company that partnered with Pfizer to produce a vaccine that's 95% effective against COVID. Katie and Drew Weissman, her colleague at the University of Pennsylvania, may well win the Nobel Prize. Katie is so in demand, and she's a new grandmother. Yes, yes, I was (laughs) changing diapers in February. (laughs) I literally pursued her for months until finally she agreed to sit down with me. So just give us some first impressions here. What was she like? Busy. And she reminded me of that. What is currently occupying your time right now? Most of the time I I am doing reading. There's apparently 11 papers published every hour on COVID. In the last uh, 14 months, it was 95,000 something publication came out on that topic. So while we are talking here, I am missing to reading those 11 papers. (laughs) Well, I I appreciate it. In today's episode, we're taking a look behind the scenes at scientists who worked around the clock to produce the COVID vaccines, specifically the women in science. Who must work twice as hard, put in twice as many hours, and face twice as much skepticism and rejection as men in the same position. Stick around. Katie's story begins in 1961 in Hungary. Yeah, I was six years old and and I was not reading nature at that time. But she does remember history being made. I was uh, watching on April 12th that uh, Gagarin was flying around (laughs) because in 61 actually was a revolutionary year. She's talking about Yuri Gagarin, the Soviet cosmonaut who became the first person to launch into space, fueling the space race. But that's not the only breakthrough that happened in 1961. It's also the year scientists from Cambridge University and Harvard first identified and isolated mRNA molecules. What exactly are mRNA molecules? Yeah, before COVID, I'd never heard of them either. But they're in the news now. I'll let 60 Minutes explain. They are... Molecules in our cells that pass genetic instructions from our DNA to particles that make proteins, 
the building. Katie would ultimately spend her career trying to figure out how to tweak those molecules and turn them into a way to deliver medicine into the human body. So mRNA vaccines. Exactly. But first, let's go back to 1961 when Katie was six years old. Oh, that's, you know, very happy childhood and a very loving family. I have a sister and uh, my parents were very, uh, not formally educated, but very uh, intelligent people. Her father was actually a butcher. I work with him in the butcher shop. But he he played on a violin and the different instruments. In small-town Hungary in the 1960s, there weren't a lot of modern conveniences. Yeah, we didn't have a refrigerator. We didn't have television set the first 10 years in my life. So, But, you know, I, I didn't feel that we didn't, that nobody had. I didn't even know that how a refrigerator would look or why somebody would have, you know, nobody had, you know. The family of four slept in one room. And so it was very simple life. And we had yard, and we had chickens, and uh, pig, and uh, you know, like everybody else. And we went to the next door to you know, for the milk because they had cow. We didn't have cow. Wow, no cow. I know, but Katie was curious about the world, and that came out in school. I had very good teachers, and that's what the most important thing. In chemistry, we try to make. Crystals. I remember that how how happy you know to see a crystal forms and right. And was, when did you first start getting interested in science? Uh, I decided in high school that I will be a scientist without ever knowing uh, seeing a scientist. I just figured out that oh goes to work and does every time something different. I don't know. Katie always excelled. She was the valedictorian in high school. She studied gene therapy at university. She got her PhD. And so how did she get to the U.S. Well, in 1985, she seized an opportunity. She moved her husband and two-year-old daughter all the way here to take a job at Temple University. Here's a recent clip from an interview at UCLA of Katie's daughter, Susan Francia, who happens to be a two-time Olympic gold medalist in rowing. And she's describing the journey to America. Uh, Both my parents are Hungarian, and my mom came over. Uh, She was a PhD um, in molecular biology. And she came over to work in academia. And so my dad and I, we came over with her. Back then, Hungary didn't allow residents to take out foreign currency that was over a certain amount because officials didn't want people to defect. This was the time of the Iron Curtain. You know, my my mom was coming over on this visa and it was supposed to be like six months to a year, maybe longer. And so we had to ask all of our like family and relatives to take cash out the U.S. dollars. But again, you couldn't have it on you. So actually, um, they sewed it into my teddy bear. Wow. Wow. Sounds like a movie. Yeah, it does. So after uprooting her whole family, the stakes for Katie to succeed must have been really high. Absolutely. But even though Katie moved here determined and focused, and some might even say obsessed with mRNA, she faced challenges she couldn't have even imagined. We'll tell you more when we return. The Story Exchange is a nonprofit media company that provides inspiration and information for entrepreneurial women. This year, we're celebrating our 10th anniversary by launching the annual Women in Science Incentive Prize. We'll award prizes of $5,000 each to five innovative women looking to mitigate the impact of climate change on our water supply. 
Keep an eye on our website, thestoryexchange.org, for more details. We're back talking about the Hungarian scientist who helped develop the life-saving COVID vaccine. She's been referred to in the press as the mother of the vaccine. But before Katie Carico was celebrated for her discovery around mRNA, she faced an uphill battle. No one really took her work seriously. And why was that? I asked her that same question. Uh, first of all, it's because the, it was so ahead of time. Keep in mind, the world of science can move incredibly slowly. While mRNA was discovered in 1961... Making in, in vitro, in a tube, that you can use it as we are using today, it was uh, 1984. So there were like 20-plus uh, years needed uh, to uh, develop the molecular biology, technologies, you know, plasmids. Previously, they tried to make RNA using bacterial polymerase and others, but it was not working. Katie, who left Temple for Penn in 1989, basically zeroed in on something that wasn't yet accepted by the scientific community. And other areas were buzzier, getting more attention and more money. In the 90 to 99, that, that, that decade was about uh, the gene therapy. Everybody was the gene, and in 1990 started the Human Genome Project. Here's then-President Bill Clinton. Well, first, we will complete a virtually error-free final draft of the human genome before the 50th anniversary of the discovery of the double helix. So every time they discover the gene, you know, and they, oh, this disease, you know, monogenic disease, that, oh, that one mutation caused that disease. The idea was that, oh, we put in a virus and then we put into the patient and then it, we fix them, they will get the new fixed genes. And, but the uh, field of gene therapy you know. endured a setback when a patient, a young man by the name of Jesse Gelsinger, actually died during a clinical trial in 1999. That's when scientists realized... That, oh, that's not that easy to use a virus to deliver corrected genes. And so Katie once again threw herself back into her work, which is distinctly different from gene editing. It's complicated, but mRNA doesn't alter a person's DNA. Instead, it tells our cells how to make proteins that trigger an immune response. But still, getting people to believe in her was not easy, possibly because some of her early experiments, trying to develop an mRNA vaccine for HIV, had failed. I came to U.S. 85 with treated HIV patient 86, and we assisted that honoris uh, and you know, everybody died. So there were so many technical problems. Perhaps because of that, or because, according to her colleagues, she is not a great grant writer, or quite possibly because it's hard to be taken seriously as a woman in science, Katie was basically rejected for every grant she applied for. She was demoted at Penn, her salary was cut. Maybe uh, if I have to make a speech one day, I might have to thank all of the people who kicked me out because I wouldn't end up and we wouldn't have all of these things which we have. I just want to share a passage from a commentary in NPR this past spring by Dr. David Scales, who studied under Katie as an undergrad. He talks about her commitment to mRNA, even when her own university stopped supporting her, which he said was demoralizing. It's hard to describe what this moment means to people who've never worked in science at a university. 
But it's more than just the frustration of an experiment not working or laudable work going unrecognized. It's an existential career threat. Everything you've worked for your entire life is suddenly in jeopardy. It's a forced career change on the assumption that if you can't get the grants, you're not a good enough scientist. Most scientists would have quit, but Katie persevered. Her scrappy upbringing in Hungary might have helped. By the early 2000s, she was working with a new collaborator, Drew Weissman, and things finally started to turn around. Here's a short clip of Drew from Penn Medicine. When we started this, we weren't thinking about curing pandemics. We were thinking about making new vaccines, making new therapeutics. They kept making progress, experimenting on animals. Katie told me every small success kept her going. Because I, I could see always the advancement. Okay, it gets better. Okay, we can see it. We can see in an animal. We and then finally, a big breakthrough. Katie and Drew figured out a way to inject an animal, I believe it was a monkey, with mRNA that would basically instruct the animal cell to make a very specific protein. First time we could see biological effect. I remember that, okay, we injected this little EPO mRNA, and then the red blood cells number was increased in the animal, and then hematocrit increased. So it is like like uh, treating uh, anemia or something. So, so seeing, okay, so at least one, one disease we could, uh, you know, treat. And it would still take years for Katie and Drew to win attention, but they finally got it from BioNTech in 2013. There, they continued to improve the mRNA technology. When Chinese scientists posted the genetic sequence for the coronavirus in early 2020, the team at BioNTech designed the mRNA vaccine in hours. And the rest, of course, is history. The potential turning point millions have been waiting for. Here's NBC from December 2020. People in the UK can start getting the Pfizer vaccine early next week. The first Western country to move from the trial phase to vaccinating the public. sharing the story of scientist Katie Carrico, who spent decades working on mRNA technology despite being ignored, demoted, and rejected. It would take over 30 years until mRNA started saving lives. Wow, what a long, hard slog. It must have just taken a real toll on her. I mean, what was sort of the emotional journey like? I, I, I felt many times that I am not good enough. Even at university, I always was worried that, oh, my God, so many things to remember and I will forget. I cannot, you know. But, uh, yeah, so it is, um, of course, it is not pleasant when rejection, like, grants. But, um, you know, I was listening, reading, and I, I always, like, constructive criticism, you know, was something that uh, you have to take. Okay, maybe I, I am not express myself. Maybe I have to ask somebody to read, did, did I say properly, you know. Wow, you know. well, that really puts failure into perspective, definitely. And she's certainly not the only female scientist who's pressed on despite rejection after rejection. Just look at all the high-profile women who helped develop the vaccines. You have Katherine Jansen at Pfizer, Sarah Gilbert at AstraZeneca, and Melissa Moore at Moderna. I spoke with Melissa Moore, who joined Moderna in 2016. She oversaw the company's development of its mRNA vaccine. So I'm the chief scientific officer of Platform Research. Melissa taught at universities before coming to Moderna. 
she told me how difficult it's been for women to jump from academia to industry because it's such a boys club. In, you know, the early 2000s and then around 2010, one of the things that was really frustrating for those of us who were women who were at the top of our game and were senior academic women is the lack of relationships of women with companies. She's working to reverse that by getting more women in top leadership positions, specifically on Moderna's board. So it takes both allies, but it also takes women staying in the game. And, you know, a lot of times, particularly young women, take themselves out of the game. Melissa also talked about how sex hormones and physiological reactions to stressful situations often leave women feeling less confident about climbing the corporate ladder. But you cannot change the system unless you're part of the system. Um, And so you've got to become part of the system. It's not going to change until we get enough people staying in. Her boss, Moderna co-founder Nubar Afayan, agrees. He's one of those allies Moore talks about. He founded Moderna about a decade ago in the Boston area. We've taken quite a few steps uh, internally to try to figure out what keeping us from having more candidates that are women in not just CEO roles, but in in many of the leadership roles, because we have plenty of women who are scientists, managers, uh, leaders in their own right, but not, not getting to the level where they are CEOs. And he knows what it's like to be an outsider. Nubar is an immigrant from Armenia. He's also an early financial supporter of the Story Exchange, which is pretty cool. He told me that innovation is intellectual immigration. You leave your comfort zone, you end up in a new place, You don't know the language. You don't understand the concepts. You struggle, you adapt, you make it yours, and then you make it work for other people. That's what you do as an innovator. If there's any good that's come out of this pandemic, it's that women in science who worked so incredibly hard to develop these life-saving vaccines are finally getting the respect they deserve. Imagine if Katie Carrico had given up. We might not be sitting here fully vaccinated and feeling much safer because of it. And the mRNA technology that Katie helped develop may soon be used not just for fighting COVID, but other diseases like cancer. Yep. From humble beginnings in Hungary, where she and her family had no running water or fridge, to cracking the code of mRNA. But success? I mean, how you define the success? You know, some says that you can um, preserve your enthusiasm. After failure, and, you know, I can do that. You know, I can immediately say, oh, probably that was it. Oh, okay, I can do this better and turn around and then immediately coming up, what should I do? And, and my husband never said, you know, I'm going to work. You know, he said, oh, you are going, having fun. Yeah. <laughs> she has such a great philosophy. And I just want to end this podcast with her thoughts about the process of discovery. Science is uh, working on a way to find analog or some kind of precedent. Is there precedent for that? Or, and then applying one thing to the other. So that, that is a good job because you're getting older and, and if you don't forget things, you know, you know more and more. Yeah, so it's good, good job and uh, good, good to be scientist. Well, I'm sure Katie is back reading her journals, but we thank her for sharing her remarkable story. And we thank you all for listening. 
This has been the Story Exchange. Join us next time to hear more stories about innovative and inspirational women doing the things you'd never dream of. Or maybe you would. If you like this podcast, please share on social media or post a review wherever you listen. It helps other people find the show. And visit our website at thestoryexchange.org where you'll find news, videos, and tips for entrepreneurial women. And we'd love to hear from you, especially if you know someone who should be featured on this podcast. Drop us a line at info at thestoryexchange.org or find us on Facebook. I'm Colleen DeBase. This episode was reported by Corinne Lesh. Sound editing provided by Nusha Balian. Production coordinator is Noelle Flago. Our mixer is Pat Donahue at String and Can. Executive producers are Sue Williams and Victoria Wong. Recorded at Cutting Room Studios in New York City. Mm-hmm.